everybody. Welcome to the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, episode 19. I'm Kurt Schilling, and my cohort, conspirator, is Bill Graff. Good morning, Bill. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good night. How are we doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Kurt. Looking at stuff this week, I, it just got me thinking, we don't mine you enough for pitching <laughs> intelligence. So that's um, where I want to dig in. We talked about the the first story we're going to talk about is the Astros, and I, I know I mentioned a couple times on the show. Um, good players, good teams, for the most part, will revert to the mean. Uh, they were struggling out of the gate, um, but uh, they went into a nine game set with the Blue Jays, Braves, and Rays, three of the best. Uh, came out of that seven and two, um, and the Rays had not lost it. They they beat uh, Tampa for a second straight on Wednesday night. The Rays had not lost two at home. Rays were undefeated at home, I think, going into that series. Um, but we're going to get into an area of of baseball that I feel pretty comfortable about uh and that's that's pitching um and the key to that that series that houston had in tampa was their pitching garcia goes six no runs three hits punches uh uh i don't remember how, all right yeah no runs three hits those 45 cutters out of 97 pitches which is another thing we're going to talk about hunter brown on wednesday went seven uh two hits two walks punched out eight uh the three Astros pitchers wednesday threw 22 percent fastballs 43 percent sliders and 30 percent changeup um uh and bill the question is 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 perfect it leads into this did the astros find something so first off those percentages aren't right all right when you have unfortunately an ivy league kid who has never thrown a baseball charting pitches sometimes they will do things i promise you that the the rate of, of fastball percentage was much much higher than 22 percent however uh it it it's still incredibly low and, and to put it in perspective for me in a game a hundred pitch game bill i would throw well, I don't know. Let's say if I threw 100 pitches, I would probably throw 75 to 85 fastballs at a minimum. Um, because, you know, as I've said before, fastball is not just one pitch. But these fastball percentages, are they're not that up far off. So 22% to me is, that would be a Tim Wakefield number in, in my mind. Uh, that's, that's unbelievable. Uh, and it's also, if those are correct, it's why we're seeing a massive increase in Tommy John surgery to begin with. However... Uh, did the Astros find something? So uh, I'm going to start. One of the things that I, I was known uh, for when I played was preparation. Um, I would argue I probably spent more time in the video room than any player in the history of the game. Um, I had to, in my mind, because that was the only way I could be effective. Now, there's a multi-layered process, and it's evolved. It used to be non-existent. Then it went to a short series meeting, and then breaking it down to a pitcher's meeting before a series, and then individual pitchers would have meetings. So what happens is here's here's how this works nowadays. And these are, <laughs> they're dust covered. Um, but you can see this is, this would be before a series, this is the 2004 Texas Rangers, all right? And this would be a, a scouting book. And, and you'll notice that my name's in the corner um, because, well, I'll get to that. But what this would have, would be the so we you have what's called advanced scouts and advanced scouts will go and do exactly what they say the in advance of a series against the team they would be in the ballpark for three to six games would watch and scout the team you're playing to know who's hot who's not who's who's doing what whose roles are changing or whatever and they would give uh the roster with injuries who's hot mark Teixeira, francisco cordero ricardo rodriguez ron mahay who's not uh, in the in that column and then 
They would talk about who's hurt, what their status is. So you might be seeing a guy coming off the DL. And then there would be uh, pretty much their notes on the uh, new players in in the uh, on the team. And then the starting rotation, how they're throwing, the bullpen, how they're throwing, their defense, what they're like, how they move, how they adjust, their offense, kind of what the rhythm is for the offense. And they would list the starters. So for this series, it was Joaquin Benoit, Kenny Rogers, Ryan Dress, uh, uh, with Ricardo Rodriguez as a potential influence. Now, that's all general good and well information. That's mainly for the base coaches. Where it starts to become important to me as a pitcher is here. So this is the right-handed lineup, the left-handed lineup. And then you would see uh, how the lineup versus right-handers is doing. This is a good lineup. This is as good a lineup as we face. They're, they hit all pitchers. The lineup could change with Nick's getting ready. Then Buck would need – Buck Showalter, by the way – would need to decide between uh, Matthews and Eric Young, with Young probably getting the nod. If Nick's isn't ready when Deluce or Conte might get a start to give Young a day. They are swingers who put together good two-strike at-bats but don't walk much. Must shut them down first time through the order and use the same sequences later in the game. Must have good off-speed with use of elevated fastball. So that's a generalization of how how to, how to pitch the line. Nothing, you know, amazing there. Nothing uh, revealing. And then you'll see their right-handed pitch hitter was Eric Young. Left-handed pitcher, David DeLucci, one of my favorite teammates ever. Their pinch runner, their defensive replacements, outfield backup catcher, blah, 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 all that other stuff. Backup catcher was important to me if I was pitching a day game after a night game. I always wanted to know who the right hand, the left-handed pitch hitter was going to be off the bench um, so I could prepare for those players. Then it goes into literally this page shows every stolen base, the count, the situation, base runners, and the pitcher, and the result of the uh, of the stolen base. A lot of times stolen bases are hit and runs. And it would show, it'll show over here if they're hit and running and, and the things that they're doing. Um, and that, that that's literally like multiple pages of every. Then it'll go down. This is a page, the, their bunt attempts when they tried to bunt the count and all that other stuff. And numerically, you can imagine that wasn't quite a lot. Um, did they pitch out? When they pitched out, what the counts were. And then it'll, uh, there's a, there's like a manager's report. This is every move he made, uh, Buck made during the series that they scouted or that they were scouting when he substituted for a pinch hitter, what the situation was, you know, all these pinch hitting situations, you're looking at seventh, ninth, 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 tenth inning, ninth, late, late. And which is when you see pinch hitters in the American leagues. And then it would talk about just, just line item data. Right. So then you get into the kind of the meat and the potatoes of, uh, let me find somebody that, uh, okay. Um, oh, I, you know what? I'll go with David DeLucci. So then each hitter will have a scouting report. And again, this is put together by the scouts over the series. This is David DeLucci, talks about his stance. Uh, then the comments, a solid fourth outfielder off the bench was set to pinch hit on Wednesday, walked twice, has lost playing time overall with Matthews and Young playing so well, had a rough month in June, nine for 56, will occasionally start versus right-handed pitching until Nick's returns, then will be the left-handed bat off the bench. Huff out, can run the bases solid defensively. All that I very much agree with. Very good cripple fastball hitter, went ahead. Keep ball moving away for a rollover ground ball. Throttle him in, expose his late hitch. Can elevate the fastball in hands, uh, in on the hands, chase above the zone. Hit well against us last series, five for nine. Just three for 19 versus left-handed pitching. Selective, zero for zero first pitches. Need to get ahead with first pitch strike. It's just 15 for 77 after falling behind 1-0, which would fall into uh, something that would be important for me. Much better after getting ahead 1-0, which is kind of a no-brainer. A good fastball hitter, much more trouble with off-speed stuff when he's behind the count. 
So then it would give the right, that's the general, then it would give a right-handed and left-handed approach. Then the stats that would matter to me, uh, when the pitcher's ahead, here's his averages. And, uh, and even though this wasn't as detailed as I would want it, first pitch swing with base is empty, runner on base, much much more apt to swing with the, at the first pitch with the runner on base than he is if base is empty. Base stealing when he runs, uh, hitting, then all the stats. And then kind of where you position your infield and all that other stuff. Now, this would be accompanied by and and again one of the big things and it's, it's very important to remember this as, as you as you go through this but now you're seeing this is uh translated into color code right this is the heat map for david delucci uh generally uh kind of a little bit of a rarity against right-handers because red is hot obviously cold is blue uh left-handers generally you'll see a red spot down in here but the thing to remember about this and the thing that was important for me, so this will see uh, what his numbers are against strikes, what his swing percentage is in every at-bat or in every zone. More importantly, for me, this was everybody he faced right-handed. So it didn't matter if you threw 88 or 98, you were on this heat map. That didn't do me any good because if I was going to work my velocity at 94 to 98, then what he did against 88-mile-an-hour fastballs was irrelevant to me. So what I needed to do was go from this and translate this into something for me. And that would look like this. So actually I have a big stack. This, and remember this is, that stuff is in the 2000s. This is what it looked like in the nineties for me anyway. So I, cause you can imagine the nineties, you had a video cassette and you had VHS tapes. <laughs> look up, Google that kids for, for those of you that don't know what those are. So what I would have to do is I would go back and watch tape. And so this is Moises Salou when he played for the Cubs. Now, this was me, all right? This was my spray chart. This was all the ground balls that Moises had hit off me and all the fly balls he had hit off me. And every single one is numbered with a, uh, a, a corresponding number over here telling me what the pitch was and what the count was, and more importantly, where the pitch in the zone was. So here's all my strikeouts against him. Where the pitches were, a lot of low chase, a couple of high chases. But when you look at the, the hit counts in the flight, so red would be a, a hit. The ones that go past the fence clearly are home runs. <laughs> and uh, black would be an out. But again, all this was this was the first iteration of me taking my notes. And this actually was in a folder labeled extra players. So when guys got traded in the offseason or signed and moved to another team, they would be in my extra players folder until they got uh, – until they got to another team. So here's Sean Casey's chart. Um, like I said, Rich Aurelia. Here's Rich Aurelia, who I faced a ton. Um, but again, and then I would have down here, first pitch swing percentage uh, and strikeouts, anything I wanted to know as, as far as detail goes. You can see against Aurelia in the strikeout. So this is facing the hitter, right? He's on this side of the box. A lot of strikeouts on the outside part of the zone. Um and then it would be labeled again. It would be labeled over here. Uh, a lot of fastball swing misses away. A lot of splits down. All these are probably splits. But anyway, what this did was this was what this was my homework before uh, I'd face the the Giants. Say uh, here, actually, here's a good one. This guy hit me hard. Brian Jordan, uh, uh, NFL defensive back, by the way. So pretty decent athlete. Um, lots of lots of stuff on him, right? Uh, lots of. Uh, uh, data and input and the more the better uh, and then great stat here 
In the first 12 at bat, he was 21 of 47 on the first pitch swings, which means 47 at bats, he swung 21 times, which is a lot. More importantly for me, he was six for 12 with all three of his home runs off me on the first pitch. So, uh, you know, those develop over time. Anyway, what I would do is I would take the charts of the lineup I'm getting ready to face, and that would go into my notes, and uh, or my notes would come into my pregame. Now, uh, on a separate piece uh i'll show you my notebook what it what what i when you there's videos of me on the bench uh i had my notebook here's a cover to one of my notebooks. this is the cover this is my 2003 pitchers and hitters cover that was the notebook that was with me during the game that was a notebook that started in spring training where i transcribed notes from the previous year put all my initial game plan thoughts and theories and plans and and remembrances uh from the year before and then i would work off that um, but all of that stuff translated into my notebook and my notebook was kind of a, a, a living document. Each start, I would take it to the bench. I had my game plans, uh, drawn out. I would go over that with the, the catcher and the pitching coach before the game. Uh, I would then, uh, work with and talk to, for example, in, in Boston, it was Dustin Pedroia. I would tell the, I would tell a PD, okay, listen, here's where we're going to play these guys. I would, I, cause I wanted my outfielders to move based on something I didn't do. I didn't want pitchers or hitters to see me turn around and move outfielders because smart hitters, which there aren't that many of, but smart hitters would understand what I'm doing. Um, so I would have my second baseman move my outfielders, yell at them or tell them what to do. So I didn't have to do it. Um, and then during an at bat, if I was going to go against the grain and do something I don't normally do, I would reposition an infielder or two if I wanted to, um, but that notebook, you'd see me write in it during the games. I would be taking those notes and the game plan I was attacking with, and I would be writing live information after the half inning it happened because that stuff, that's the only way to keep it fresh in your head. Because when I look back and say to some effect, you know, I say, uh, for example, Vladimir Guerrero cannot, cannot start his at bat with a pitch away from him, have to start him in. You know, I would remember back why I said that because I threw a pitch that he wailed on and, and homered foul or something that that just wasn't a smart pitch. But anyway, and then I would do that with umpires too. I, I had a notebook on all the umpires and I would uh, update anything different, uh, note a, a fact, and then I would I would um, at the end of the game I would put <clears throat> post game notes, literally a post game summation, kind of a dear diary. Here's how my day went. Um, on the umpire in the game itself from a momentum and a feel and a flow. Um, and that for me was, that was how I, I had to do it. I, I, and like I said, I went from, you know, 1990s, which was big charts, lots of pencil, lots of time to, you can imagine in 2004 when the Red Sox, when I went to Boston, they had a full setup. So I would just go in uh, Billy Broadbent. One of the greatest human beings ever was the video guy <clears throat> is still the video guy. Uh, Billy would have my computer set up and all of my, anything I could want data wise, information wise would be on their server. I could pull down uh, all 90 at bats against Derek Jeter and watch them in consecutive. I could watch them for first pitches. I could watch them with two strikes. I could watch them with runners in scoring position, anything. Um, so I had all the data and information. My goal was to translate it from <clears throat> video to notes. Um, and then when I didn't have a player, uh, which was, Often, sometimes, when I didn't have a history with a player, there was a guy coming up from the minor leagues. I would talk to the advanced scouts in that report you saw. There would be an advanced scout note on the new hitter. This guy just came up, and he's this guy. Here's his numbers in AAA, <clears throat> which I would only be looking at uh, on-base percentage and slugging percentage. 
Um, and I would want to, if I could get swing count percentages, that started to become something later that they would keep, but just to have an idea of a hit, excuse me, of a hitter before I face them. And then that would go into, uh, the, and that was the four days between my start, uh, around your, uh, conditioning. Uh, you know, I'd be with Dave page, our strength coach for four days and David, uh, pager would, would, would push you and you would, I would go right from, and our weight room video room, we're actually next to each other and are next to each other in the Boston locker room. So I would go from uh, the daily routine with Pager into the video room. And that was why uh, for a seven o'clock game, I usually got to the ballpark around noon or 1 PM because I had, I don't know, two to four or five hours of preparation. Uh, not a lot, you know, with the, the minimal part of that was the physical part. That was, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half tops <clears throat> with the long cardio. Um, but most of it was spent in the video room. Uh, with Billy Broadbent uh, and watching videos. And the one person, I can tell you this, a sort from Boston, the only person I, I got to know better than anyone on the planet was Manny Ramirez because Manny spent uh, more time than any hitter I've ever seen in the video room studying pictures. And we would bounce stuff off each other um, about, hey, Manny, what do you think this hitter's trying to do here? Uh, and Manny would say, hey, what do you think this pitcher's trying to do early in the count against me? Or when when do you think this guy's going to use his slider or things like that and i learned uh, as much about pitching from manny as probably most guys in the game um that was that was a very long-winded way of explaining what's happening in houston and what's going to happen to tampa excuse me did the astros find something uh a three-game series is very hard to 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 say a trend but it's also not too small of a sample size you're talking about uh, what uh, 81 outs so um, 81 outs of pitching. And, and it, bottom line is none of that stuff matters if you don't have a pitching staff that can command the baseball in the strike zone. That's the difference. And when you have, when you show me where a guy can't hit a ball and I can move the ball in four and six inch increments around the strike zone, I'm going to beat that guy most of the time. I don't have to get tricky. I don't have to show him some fooling breaking pitch. I just have to throw the ball where he can't hit it. And, and then... Uh, a Greg Maddox theory that I heard a long time ago that that uh, to this day is one of the smartest things I've ever heard. Uh, the key to pitching is to throw a ball when the hitter's swinging and a strike when he's taking. Elegance, like that's that's uh, 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 Aristotle-like level wisdom. Very fundamental, very basic. The hard part is to know when those two moments occur. And hitters are like pitchers are creatures of habit. They're going to take certain pitches. They're going like... For me, it was always, I, I think in uh, 01, when we were playing the Yankees, uh, I, I saw the replay of the game and, and it was mentioned that I had led the league in first pitch strikes. I threw over 70% first pitch strikes. Um, and I did that with fastballs. 99% of those first pitch strikes were fastballs because I knew <clears throat> which hitters were swinging at the first pitch and which hitters weren't. And so if you're going to take a pitch off me, and, and in my mind, give me a strike, I'm taking it. And the scouting reports will tell you that. Now, what happened was, it's kind of cool, actually, how this manifested. Early in my career, <clears throat> I didn't have a history. As I got older and more experienced, guys' first pitch swing percentage would change against me as opposed to their normal. And I had to take that into account, which is why, you know, when they talk about first pitch swing percentage from scouting a series, that's not relevant to me as much as first pitch swing percentage against me. Because guys' first pitch swing percentage, good hitters, would elevate. And there's a couple guys early in my career who later in my career got me early 
because they did always take the first pitch. Um, Todd Zeal's one. Uh, um, and, and there there are a couple who became more aggressive the later in my career. But it took them, think about this. It took them 40 or 50 at-bats to go away from their routine and to adjust to mine. So 49, if it's 50 at-bats, 49 of those at-bats, I'm up 101. I'll take those numbers anytime. And so, but but that's what the numbers show you. Now, take that to a pitching staff, Houston going into Tampa. Every team's going to show a pattern. I don't, it might be an erratic pattern, uh, but every hitter definitely will show a pattern. What you have, I think, is a, a Houston advanced scouting team who's done a phenomenal job scouting the Rays, has found a couple things that their hitters exploited or their pitchers exploited during the entire series. Now, a lot of times holes and and problems with the way staffs are now with everybody throwing hard and everybody being a power arm, you can general you can use the general blue and hot zones much to much more effect cuz it 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 affects and is is pertinent to many more pitchers instead of being the red and blue being uh uh all power and it used to be a mix of pitches. Now, 8 of your 10, 8 of your 11 guys are 94 plus guys. That, that's a big difference. The difference is that these guys don't command the baseball in the strike zone anywhere near as well as as they did, uh, as they used to. There's very few pitchers and far more throwers, but you can get away with that. So did the Astros find something? I think they executed on a plan other teams couldn't, would be my answer. I think that that shows probably their pitching staff is a little bit better than most other pitching staffs. Um, but you'll have to see as, the, as it wears out because that's exactly what happens. I'm going to jump real quick to to Jordan Walker of the Cardinals. Um, Jordan Walker started the season out. Bill, you remember we were talking, he was getting a hit every night. Right. And, and, uh, and we were like, Oh, what a great scenario. Well, those scouting notes, they catch up to you and they do it a lot faster now than they used to. Um, he was in a 10 game slump going seven for 35 and punched out 20 times in 73 at bats. So yeah, he has holes and they found them. and pitchers in the big leagues will exploit your holes in a series uh, rather than waiting a month or, or or finding that one or two pitchers in AAA that can <clears throat> do the things a big league pitcher can do. I have no doubt he'll be back. He's a phenomenal talent He's because now he goes back. Old. Right. But, and yes. And the thing is he goes back to AAA <clears throat> and he understands the holes he was ex- being exploited on and he fixes those and adjusts to those and, and he'll have his own books, so to speak. Um, and and that's the game, the cat and mouse game. That's why hitting, in addition to being really hard is one of the most challenging things in sports to do, because you're not just trying to hit a guy throwing the ball 95, which in and of itself is something you probably can't comprehend, but you're doing it against a guy who's throwing 95. So for me, I threw 95 and I could move the ball from this quadrant here to this one, not in three pitches and not in an at bat, but on the next pitch, if I'm throwing the ball 95 here and 95 here, and then I can throw the ball 95 up here. Yeah, if you don't guess the right one, you you don't win. You can't you can't do it. And these guys like Degrom. That's why Degrom, <clears throat> when he's healthy, excuse me, Degrom is from a stuff perspective, is every bit as good, if not better, than anybody I've ever seen stuff wise. He's throwing a hundred here. He's throwing a hundred here, commanding the ball, and he's got three other wipeout pitches that he can throw at any time. That's like Pedro, prime Pedro. At a hundred, Pedro was never a hundred. Pedro was a middle nineties guy, but it didn't matter because his changeup was so lethal and his breaking ball was so lethal that it just needed to be 90 and it was 95, which made it unfair. Um, uh, going to finish with this one though. 
Um, and it relates to everything we were just talking about. And there's a personal story here too. Chris Sale uh, had a horrible outing on Monday. Uh, here's the here's the here's the the box score stats: five innings, nine hits, five earned runs, a walk, zero Ks. All those things uh, for him are struggling and, and horrible and all those things. Here's the biggest, most important stat if you're a Red Sox fan. He threw 83 pitches, two, exactly two swings and misses. Chris Sale in his prime was at two swings and misses during an at-bat, much less an entire five-inning stint. Um, and I say that personally because that's exactly how I realized that I was losing my stuff. I had an at-bat, uh, and I'll never forget it. I was on the mound. I believe it was Kansas City. Um, and I was facing uh, – or no, it wasn't. It was a National League Park because I was facing a pitcher. And I had two strikes. And, you know, generally with two strikes for the most part, I'll rear back and throw a 95 down and away, and at-bat's over. Um, and I couldn't get the pitcher to swing and miss at strike three. He kept fouling the ball off. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God. I've lost my fastball. <laughs> I had I hadn't lost it, but I lost the ninety five. I was I was a ninety to ninety two guy, which is a very different place to live in than ninety five. But you're usually the last person to really grasp the fact that you've lost your fastball. You know, my my Johnny Padre is the greatest pitching coach I ever had. When I was young, I said, you know, I would I would be concerned with you know how hard am I throwing, and he would always get pissed. He would yell at me and say, "The hitters will let you know," and it's true. The hitters will always let you know how hard you're throwing because all 92s aren't created equal. And you realize that when you get to the big leagues, but he's Chris sale is, is struggling. And I would, I would argue that, uh, and I don't mean this in an injured way. He's not the same pitcher. He was, uh, that's just fact. He's aged. He's come through a lot of rehabs, not to say he can't be or won't be. There's, there's a lot of, of time from post-surgery rehab to when you start in the big leagues to getting back to yourself. It doesn't just automatically happen. <clears throat> excuse me, when I had a, a shoulder surgery in 1995, I came back in 1996. Uh, my first start, I went seven innings against the Giants when Bonds was there. I punched out 10, no runs. Everybody was stunned. I was like, yeah, whatever. This is what I expected. But for the next two months, it was up and down. Every game I would start, I, I, I can remember throwing a game against the Giants again in San Francisco. I was warming up, Bill. I'm warming up. And Johnny was a positive guy. He would always say positive things. I'm warming up. And I get the ball back and I happen to turn around and I see all the relievers are behind me, like stretching. And I'm like, the, what the hell? Like the game hasn't even, what the bullpen? The guys are all, they were watching me throw like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. And we're walking to the dugout. And I remember Johnny Padre saying to me, <clears throat> he was always a, yeah, take it out there. Give him to hell guy. Blah. He was like, Hey, just do whatever you can, buddy. Like, and I was like, oh, is it that bad? So I go out the first inning, 85 mile now, three pitch inning, first pitch, 85 mile hour fastball, 86, 86, three pop-ups. And I walk in and Fergosi's looking at me like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, oh, I'm just asking. I didn't know the stop to the game. I go out the next inning. I strike out seven straight hitters throwing the ball 95. It would come and go after surgery. And eventually you get back to yourself. I don't know if that's what he's going through, but he's not the same pitcher, not even close. Uh, and it's going to come down to now him needing to adjust to his new stuff. And that was where the challenge was. I always said that I could be a good pitcher when I lost my fastball. I don't know that I was a good pitcher, but uh, I understood that I had to play differently and pitch differently uh, and be more precise and be more perfect um, because of the loss of velocity. So anyway. Um, Kurt, did you know the difference 
in the way you were throwing in the first inning in that giant game than the second inning? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have anything to compare it to in the first inning, right? Right. Because I had I was starting. And so I just thought, hey, I'm throwing. And uh, three, like, almost fall down swing pop-ups. And I'm like, huh. Okay, that's awesome. And the second inning, I let go of the first pitch. And I was like, oh, whoa, what what is that? And I was just, it was lights out after that. And that's part of coming back from surgery, your tissue, your collagen, all of your fiber and makeup, everything's different and changing. Um, so, yeah. That is tremendous. Hey, I had put on the rundown. I think, I think we've given enough detail, but at some point I want to get into, I've read in a number of places, and this is probably from the Ivy League guys, but the fastball is yes, dying. Yes. So we're yep. going to keep that in the rundown down. Yep. And we didn't get to the Scott Rowland near death story. We will, so what we'll do is we'll stuff talk to about do Monday. Right. So on, on Monday, we'll talk about the disappearance of the fastball, why it's not completely what the stats say, but it is happening. And I'll talk about the time when soon to be Hall of Famer Scott Rowland almost died. So outkick.com, check it out. Uh, we're on Spotify now as well. Uh, send in your questions to Bill on Twitter if you have them. And we will be back next week. Have a great weekend, guys.